0: Welcome back to the Power of Planning podcast and Happy New Year. The start of a new year always means it's time for New Year's resolutions. I recently read an article from the Fisher College of Business at Ohio State University that said researchers suggest only 9% of Americans who make resolutions keep them. In fact, 23% quit their resolution by the end of the first week and 43% quit by the end of January. So whether or not you've made any New Year's resolutions this year, and if you did, whether or not you quit them already, you should resolve to do an insurance checkup. This month, I'm welcoming Drew Haveron as my special guest. I've known Drew for many years. We met through Rotary a number of years ago, and I've had the pleasure of working with him. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you
1: for having me. I'm happy to be here.
0: So Drew is currently the president of Personal Lines and managing director of the Select Business Unit for Hub Florida. And before joining Hub in 2015 through an acquisition, he began his career in insurance with Cooper Sims, Nelson, and Mosley in 2010 as a sales producer. And as the president of Personal Lines, he oversees all personal insurance operations for the Hub Florida offices with a specialization in the high net worth and private client segment.
1: That's correct. Right. <laughs>
0: so I'm really excited today for us to dive in and do a detailed discussion of the key types of insurance coverage that inevitably come up during any estate planning discussion that I have with my clients. So this will just give listeners hopefully an opportunity to learn some information and use that as a base to review their existing coverages and confirm that what they currently have in place is sufficient for their particular needs and circumstances. Okay. All right, so let's start with life insurance.
1: Everybody's favorite topic, right? Exactly.
0: (laughs) So according to the Life Insurance Marketing and Research Association, 52% of Americans have some form of life insurance in place, and many of my estate planning clients have life insurance. So when we're looking at life insurance, what considerations, like what should make someone Review their situation and determine if life insurance is an appropriate product for them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, life insurance can be a difficult conversation to have because you're talking about the death of a loved one, right? And so I think a lot of times when planning for life insurance or or what type of policy to have, it's what are your circumstances in your daily life uh, are going on, right? Have you had a child? Um, do you have a child with special needs uh, or certain circumstances? Um, you know, have you incurred a lot of debt recently? Uh, you know, what are the occupations? Is, is, You know, the husband or wife, have they, you know, stopped working um, to provide for the family, you know, in a different alternative way? And so uh, I think there's a multitude of ways you can look at it. Um, but really, when, when there's a life-altering event like the birth of a child, the purchase of a new home, acquiring new debt, um, you know... Retiring. Uh, retiring, you know, there, there is a multitude of different ways, um, you know, that, that people would, would look at that. And then, you know, to caveat that is, okay, well, what type of life insurance policy do I get, right? right. Is it term? Is it permanent? Um, what are the differences of that? And exactly. so I would say term insurance is the more popular option. Um, and, and what term insurance essentially is, it's a policy that provides, you know, a fixed level death benefit that you, um, you know, put out there in the, in the beginning, and it goes for a finite amount of time, right? So you get to pick 10, 20, 30 years, could be five, could be 15, um, and the premium never changes throughout the life of the, p- uh, of the policy. Uh, and so it is usually a more inexpensive policy uh, used for more short-term uh, you know, solutions uh, depending on, on your current situation. Um, and uh, it is, as I said earlier, the more, the more popular. Permanent insurance is a little bit different and I would say a little more complex because it builds a cash value. So term insurance does not build up any cash value over time where permanent insurance can. Uh, Now, it is a more long-term play. It's a better option for those that, um, you know, are seeking, you know, life insurance for for a longer period of time. The cash grows, it's tax deferred. So again, it's more expensive as you're putting more money into it each year. It's not the same, you know, thousand dollars a year that it is on a term insurance policy, it grows over time. Uh, the policy premium does. Um, and that cash value then grows as well. And you could borrow off of it if you would like to. Um, this is really for those that have the ability, um, you know, to pay more and have the cash flow to, to keep it in flux, um, where, again, you know, the term is, is it more inexpensive uh, and has been the more popular option? Is is it a little simpler of a choice?
0: Do you find that generally younger individuals, particularly those who are starting out with young children, new families, are more apt to put life insurance in place than those who are nearing retirement? I sometimes find that they'll say when they're at that stage in their life, their debts are minimal, hopefully, yeah. Um, if they've done things right. Correct. And a lot of them will say, I'm self insured at this point. Right.
1: So, very accurate. And, and, you know, the younger you are, the less expensive life insurance gets on the, on the term side, right? And so, um, it's always better to get it at age 25 than 35, right? right. At 35 than 45, and, and so on. Because, you know, as you near retirement, that uh, premium that you're paying for the amount of life insurance that you're getting doesn't really equivalent, right? And so, um, you know, you have enough assets. Hopefully your debt um, is reduced enough to where you feel comfortable if something were to happen to you. Um, you know, you and, and your spouse or, or loved ones are set up for the rest of their lives. Um, but yes, it is a very popular option when you're younger because of the inexpensiveness to it. Um, and and you can get um, kind of more value uh, out of that than than when you're you're later in
0: life. That makes sense. Yeah. And because I'm always looking at things through the lens of an estate planning attorney yeah. that I am, I always want to be sure that when folks are making these decisions and setting up these types of life insurance coverages that they designate beneficiaries. Yes both primary and contingent beneficiaries yes. in the event they're primary beneficiary. Like, for instance, if you name your spouse and you die simultaneously, you want to make sure that that death benefit avoids probate. Make sure you have a contingent beneficiary in place.
1: Updating your life insurance policy is critical, especially as as you grow and you have your family expands, right, and, and it goes from your spouse to then your children to make sure that um, kind of all your all – your, uh, I's are dotted and T's crossed, right? Yes,
0: absolutely. So the next type of insurance coverage I want to talk about is long-term care insurance, Mm -hmm. because that's frequently a part of my estate planning discussions with my older clients. And as I mentioned in the May 2023 episode that spotlighted legal issues facing seniors today— More people are living longer and needing long-term care for an extended period of time, which can be quite costly and very quickly drain their assets, which they've spent years saving. And that can result in there being little to no inheritance for the beneficiaries of their estate. So one of the options in terms of trying to mitigate those costs is looking into the possibility of having long-term care insurance. So, can you talk a little bit about what the advantages are of long-term care insurance?
1: Absolutely. So, long-term care insurance is very popular right now um, as a topic, due to everything you just explained, right? The expensiveness of it. Um, you know, going into assisted living facility or needing full-time care can be very costly. Uh, and individuals are living longer, and so to qualify for long-term care, you have to meet two of the six uh, daily function criteria, right? And that's clothing bathing, eating, toileting, uh, transferring, which is moving back and forth, and continence. And so um, as, as you get into that, um, you know, there are benefits of it being, it's you're able to, to pay those assisted living facilities uh, or, or full-time care and you are able to use it how you'd like. Um, the drawback to long-term care right now, if there is a drawback, is the max number of years. And that normally, depending on the insurance company, is about five years, um, wow. is the average uh, length of term you can get for a long-term care policy.
0: That's not very long. It's not
1: very long, um, which which again can be very expensive if uh, the individual were to live past that that five year mark. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, what you can do is you can pick a monthly benefit amount that fits your needs uh, within your family and what you feel like is appropriate. Depending on your current situation and how much uh, you can afford to pay, it's definitely a much bigger advantage to have a long-term care policy than to spend tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars over a three to five-year period uh, on your own. And as you said, you know, dwindling your savings and retirement plans.
0: So with the long-term care insurance, they have to have assistance or they're going to need assistance, a chronic condition. That is rendering them needing assistance for at least two of those activities of daily living that, that you've outlined. Yes. And one of the benefits, arguably, is that they can remain in-home, right, in, their, in the comfort of their own home and bring in home health care providers.
1: You're able to choose what option works best for you. That is okay. correct.
0: Okay. So it's very – you can customize things. Correct. As you mentioned, there's maximum benefit periods. There's benefit amounts, right, daily benefit amount you can customize elimination periods. so That's how correct. many days you have to be in that situation before the coverage would kick before it in. Kicks in? absolutely. There's inflation riders yes. that can allow for adjustments and you know, increasing costs of care and all of those things. So much like anything else, what we're talking about today, as I always say on these podcasts, I know I sound like a broken record, but it's very individualized. There's no one-size-fits-all here.
1: That's correct. And and there's another option, which is a hybrid policy, okay. um, which I think is, is something interesting to where um, it is a long-term care product that has a permanent life insurance component built into it, right? And so what you can do is you can actually tap into the death benefit from the permanent life insurance policy to help pay for those long-term care costs if you need to.
0: Right. Which is
1: becoming definitely a more popular option as the cost of of living and and care has become astronomical.
0: Yeah, because I think that was one of the greatest criticisms that people had regarding long-term care insurance, that it was this use-it-or-lose-it concept. And so they were spending significant amounts on premiums. And then, God forbid, if they had a heart attack and they never had to go into a facility or need, you know, regular care at home, that was just all wasted, essentially, all that money. So now, if they don't, you know, with those types of hybrid products, whatever they don't use during their lifetime will essentially serve as some form of a death benefit. That's correct. Okay. So at least they're getting some of their value back in terms of those (laughs) premiums that they pay. Um, another thing from an estate planning perspective is burial insurance, um, and I don't know how much you know, you've know. you dealt with that on a regular basis. Very rarely do I have clients where they actually put burial insurance policies in place, but just thought it was something that we could touch on briefly. Yes,
1: I, I can say that we have not done any burial insurance products or okay. policies in our carers' uh, That's not something that they offer at the current time.
0: Yeah, and that's meant to really cover funeral-related expenses, pay a relatively small death benefit. Premiums can be very expensive in relation to coverage amounts, so I think that's why they're not really popular and not as widely offered. Um, So it's definitely less popular than just purchasing a prepaid burial or cremation plan, which is what most of my clients do. So let's shift and talk about the coverages that should be considered when we're looking at things through an asset protection lens. Um, And I had done an episode on asset protection considerations last year in March. And if you're like most Americans, you spent years building up your nest egg and you want to be sure it's protected in the event you get sued. So you should review the current liability limits of your home and car insurance policies to make sure you're properly protected. Let's start with home insurance. So Drew, is there a minimum amount of liability coverage that's recommended?
1: So that's a great question. And I would start by saying no as a, as a really brief, short answer. Um, so a lot of that really is determined by your net worth and how many assets that you have as well as the company that you go with. So in the state of Florida, uh, you have what we call Florida domestic insurance carriers, which are Florida domiciled insurance carriers. Then you have your national carriers that write outside of Florida as well. Uh, And depending on the carrier that you're with, uh, well then they level set of of the amount of coverage that they will offer. So a lot of insurance carriers will max out at $300,000 of liability insurance on your homeowners. Some will go to 500,000, some will go to a million, um, depending on the size of the carrier that you're with. Uh, my recommendation is to always go as a minimum a half a million dollars. Uh, if you can get a million, that's, that's great because the cost difference between the two is very minimal. And normally the cost difference between 300,000 and 500,000 is less than 100 bucks. Wow. right for the year. And so uh, always get as much as you can. Um, as well as I know we'll talk about umbrella insurance later on, but to tack on an umbrella policy on top of that to, pro- to protect yourself. Um, but, but my easy answer to that is, is to get as much liability insurance as you can. Uh, due to the extremely litigious environment that we live in right now.
0: Yes. And certainly if you have things like a swimming pool in your backyard where there's an opportunity for even increased liability other than just a slip and fall that occurs on your property.
1: That's correct. So a swimming pool obviously is is a large risk. Uh, Trampolines, Hmm. diving boards, slides. So it is very important to read your policy and to ask your insurance agent If you have a trampoline, if you have a slide uh, at your pool, if you have a diving board, because some carriers will exclude those on your liability coverages, right? So you can go to the animal liability side. There are carriers there that they don't want to write Rottweilers and pit bulls and and other, you know, various, um, you know, dogs that have an aggressive biting history. There's exclusions there. They just won't write the liability at all. And so it's really important to be as forthcoming as you can. Uh, with your insurance carrier or agent uh, to really outline those risks uh, because you don't want to be caught in a claim situation where it gets denied. Um, Always, if you have an animal, uh, I recommend getting animal liability coverage, and it could be the sweetest, you know, yellow lab you have, but if somebody decides to trip and fall over your lab because you came, he came running over at you, um, that is, that's going to be going to be a problem, and will go under your animal liability policy. Um, nobody expects their dog uh, to bite anybody, but um, in this day and age, you just never know, right? And so I would always say, um, definitely talk, you know, to your insurance company or carrier. You know, if you have animals, if you have pools, uh, trampolines. Uh, those are those are big exposures for you, um, as well as having um, a business in your home. Uh, that is also an exposure that is normally not covered under homeowners policy. If you work out of your home and are performing business out of your home, you want to make sure to get a commercial general liability policy for your business. And
0: that's probably that increased. That's increased since a lot COVID. since
1: COVID. Absolutely, as as more and more people work from home full time. Uh, or part-time, especially if, if you're bringing clients or prospects into your home for discussions, uh, your liability increases tenfold during that. And so you want to make sure that you have the appropriate coverage in place. Gosh forbid something happens.
0: So if you don't have the animal liability coverage, and let's say you don't have one of those dogs like a bull mm-hmm. or a wattweiler, the home insurance is what the claim is filed under, if there's a dog bite situation, there's a dog your bite dog.
1: situation that they will file it under the liability insurance. It will go to the animal liability insurance if you have if it. You have if it. you do not have it, the liability insurance will not pick it up and that claim will be denied. Wow. Yes. Okay. Yes, that is a separate liability uh, coverage that you need to get endorsed onto your policy.
0: Interesting. Okay. And then. What is the difference between the full market value and the replacement value of your home, as far as insurance is concerned? So this
1: is always a very hot button item <laughs> with clients, uh, and it honestly depends on the marketplace that you live in. And so, replacement cost is full replacement cost on your home alone, and is and is not you know meant to include the land value, right? Where a okay. actual market value or full market value of your home. Can take that into account, and so when, when the uh, real estate market is really good and hot, and prices are high, full market value of the home is most likely going to be higher than the replacement cost of the home.
0: So there's and a disparity. Th- there. There's
1: a disparity there. There can be so so currently in in the hot real estate market that we live in right now, uh, you could purchase a home, you know, for. Let's say a million bucks, and the insurance company may want to insure it for seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars because that's what they believe the full replacement cost value of it is. Okay, right? Not taking into account the the land value. Uh, now that can reverse. So about ten years ago, replacement cost was higher than the market full market value of the home because the real estate market wasn't booming as much, and so somebody could buy a home for a half a million bucks, and the insurance company is insuring it for a million. Because if they had to replace the home, right, it's going to cost them a million dollars to, to build on that again. And so, okay. again, it's very cyclical. Um, I think the insurance companies are very good about, you know, making sure that the disparity isn't, isn't massive. I would say, you know, when I got into the business in 2010, uh, rough numbers, you know, we used to see $250 or $300 a square foot as, as pretty custom okay. in, in the, you know, kind of building marketplace. Uh, now we're seeing replacement costs of five or $600 a square foot or north of that. Right. And so it is very important uh, to try to ensure your home, you know, to full replacement cost because, uh, you know, with the supply chain issues and inflation and cost of goods and services, um, you know, when, when you bought the home five years ago, Um, And and the insurance companies try to build an inflation factor into the policies every year, but the inflation factor isn't large enough to to probably make up the difference of what it actually really does cost now.
0: So it's important to review your homeowner's insurance coverage and make sure that it's on par with current market value and more importantly that replacement value.
1: Absolutely. And I think it's really important as well if you do a major home renovation okay. uh, or any real renovation in your home is to make sure to take a look at your policy and and either update it. Um, so if if you you know got the all the master bathrooms or put a nice summer kitchen in or add a pool or, you know, a, a separate cabana or maybe a detached garage. You know, anything that you're doing to add value to the home mm-hmm. uh, and putting money into the home, you want to make sure that you update your policy to reflect that accordingly um, so you make sure you're, you're not underinsured in the event of a loss.
0: And what about those individuals who become snowbirds later in life, right, and they're not at their home 365 days a year? Does that also trigger them to have a review of the coverage?
1: It does. Yeah, uh, It does because uh, you don't want the home – uh, to be listed as a primary and it's either a secondary maybe or a rental, mm-hmm. uh short term rental, which can provide some liability issues but also trigger some some vacancy issues in the policy to where things might not be covered. Right. Uh, the insurance companies do not do not like that. So the way it wouldn't be as forthcoming as possible, normally an insurance company will take a primary home if you're here six months or more, okay. uh, in the state of Florida, uh, depending on the carrier. But that's that's usually the rough estimate, six months or more. But you want to be very forthcoming. You know, if you are only here part time, uh, they may, you know, put some stipulations in the policy if you need to have a monitored burglar or fire alarm you know, or other aspects of the home to, to keep it protected? And, you know, do you have uh, a service that comes and checks on the home weekly or monthly, make sure there's no water leaks or, or nothing is, is going awry? Uh, but but it's very important to to let them know. As well as if you have a short-term or long-term rental, that also, you know, can affect. So we have snowbirds, that come down for the winter and then they rent out their their beach condos, right, on a short-term or long-term rental. Right. A lot of insurance companies don't like that. provides an extra layer of liability for them, you know, in the case something happens. And so you want to make sure you have the right policy for that uh, to make sure to cover the liability, you know, in the event of a claim.
0: Because if you fail to disclose these things, then as you said earlier, they'll it just deny It opens you up for declinations. Right. Absolutely. And then what about the belongings inside your home? Mm-hmm. As those increase in value over the years or you wind up developing a nice art collection, or is that require separate insurance coverage?
1: It does depending on uh, what we call the type of valuable articles that you have, right? And so in your normal typical homeowner's policy, you have obviously your Your home, your dwelling value, you have your other structures coverage, which is anything detached from your home. So your pool, summer kitchens, detached garage, fencing, uh, pavers, all that fun stuff. And then you have contents coverage. So the way I describe contents coverage is you take the home, you turn it upside down. Anything that falls out is considered contents coverage, right? So your furniture, your, your appliances, TVs, bedding, clothes, all that fun stuff is contents. Where it gets a little more tricky is when you have jewelry, fine arts, silverware, guns, um, any type of collection. They call that valuable arts coverage, uh, which you want to schedule on a separate policy because there's only a limited amount of coverage under your contents coverage and your homeowner's policies for those specific items. And so you want to get a separate policy for jewelry, uh, if you have any expensive jewelry, inexpensive expensive fine arts, silverware, wine is a is a big thing now with, with wine cellars and individuals putting in you know wine cellars, um, you know uh, guns. As I said, any anything of of a collection, stamps is another big one. Um, you want to make sure to schedule that separately on a separate rider, uh, which will you know which is beneficial to you for a couple things because a lot of policies will have no deductible on them. Or little deductible, um, you know, depending on the carrier you write with, uh, could provide you know coverage for mysterious disappearance. So you go out and all of a sudden the wedding ring is lost. Um, you know there may or may not you know be um, you know coverage for that, depending on the carrier that you go with. So you want to make sure that you know that's built into the policy. Um, jewelry is is obviously more expensive right. um, to insure from a premium standpoint. Um, and depending on the value of the jewelry, um, and do you keep it in a safe or not, they, the insurance company might require you to keep certain jewelry in a safe if it is extremely valuable, just for the safety of it, right?
0: Okay. And that makes sense what you were saying. So under the general homeowners, there's only going to be a limited amount of coverage there very, for those types of Very, very small amount items, of coverage. Which Sometimes is not going to be to cover the value. That's
1: exactly right. Most companies will cover up to $2,500 or $5,000, okay. and that's it. Uh, and it's then subject to your deductible on your homeowners. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's a subject to, um, you know, you, you may or may not have coverage for mysterious disappearance, you know, theft and that, and those sort of things. So you want to make sure to schedule that separately.
0: Okay. So what about flood insurance? Not everyone is required to have that, right? That's correct. So who needs it? And, you know, what are the considerations there?
1: So So the running joke is if you live in Florida... You live in a flood zone, right? right? <laughs> uh, which which is pretty accurate, and and um, uh, it, it's based off a couple of things. So your major issue when you need flood insurance comes from your mortgage company. So if you have a mortgage on your home and you live in a flood zone, your mortgage company is going to require you to have flood insurance. Okay. If you don't live in a flood zone, they're not going to require you to have flood insurance. And you can run. We as insurance agents can run. A report to see if an insured is lives in a flood in, lives in a flood zone or not. Um, I still recommend if you don't live in a flood zone to have a flood policy. It's very inexpensive. So we could talk about you know NFIP, which is the National Flood Insurance Program. Right, right now,
0: what is that?
1: So that's backed by FEMA. It's backed by the federal government, and the federal government sets rates for for those uh, flood policies. Uh, if you're in a, an X zone, which is a non-flood zone think right now it may be 435 bucks don't don't quote me on that it changes a couple times or it's, it's changed a couple times over the past couple years but it's a set rate um, that provides you 250 thousand dollars of coverage on the home and hundred thousand dollars of flood coverage on your contents and it's a very again 435 bucks in change give or take um, is what that would cost if you're not in a flood zone now, if you are in a flood zone, that cost is going to rise, right. depending on the zone that you're in, how, how close are you to the coast or rising water, et cetera. Um, but that is a, there are benefits to that because it's backed by the federal government. Uh, again, it only provides up to $250,000 of coverage. So there, that is a bit of a drawback if you have a million-dollar home and right. you're only getting $250,000 on the home. You can buy excess coverage as well. Um, that will provide another $250,000 to you. Or there's an alternative that's coming to the marketplace in the last couple of years, and that's private flood insurance. So private flood insurance is not backed by the federal government. It's it's an insurance company that is coming in just like a homeowner's insurance and providing you flood insurance. Uh, It can be more expensive. It can be less expensive depending on the carrier, but it provides you broader coverage and more coverage. So you can you know, insure that home for flood coverage up to a million bucks or 500000 You can pick your limit. Customize. You can customize a little bit more and offers you more broader coverage uh, than the kind of limited scope that that FEMA and the NFIP provide you. Um, again, I, I recommend flood insurance for everybody that lives in the state of Florida. You know, you go back to Hurricane Ian, Hurricane Ian was a, a flood event and it was an auto event. It While the wind was bad, more and more um, cars were damaged by flooding and homes and businesses were damaged by flooding than by wind. And so if you are near the coast or near a body of water that you know rises when, when it rains, I highly recommend it. I think the biggest misnomer about flood insurance uh, is what what triggers flood insurance, right? So it's easy to say oh a pipe burst in my home and it flooded my home I, that's flood insurance well that's not that's water damage coverage
0: and that's covered by your, by homeowners. your homeowner's
1: policy correct okay flood insurance is deemed uh, has to be due to rising water by a natural disaster or natural occurrence and it has to cover two or more acres or two or more properties
0: so it's coming from the outside
1: that's correct. That's correct. It's coming, rising from a body of water, from, you know, a, a drain outside. And again, it has to cover two or more properties, uh, one of them obviously being yours, right. but it has to be due to a, a natural occurrence or, or natural disaster. So it doesn't come from inside the home. It's rising from outside and, and creeping in, right? Whether that's the ocean, that's the lake that you live on, the retention pond that you live next to, the river, uh, you know, the, the, river here out by UCF, uh, the econ that, that flooded when, when Hurricane Ian came through. Right. And a lot of homes were, were damaged by that because the river, you know, obviously builds up. The St. Johns River was the yes. same way. Um, it's it's really, really tough to see. Uh, that's flood insurance. That's, that's where that's coming from. And again, if you live in a flood zone, um, you know, I recommend getting both options, uh, you know, depending on the size of your home and and how much you're willing to spend and, and customize, uh, but even if you don't live in a flood zone, you know there's FEMA and the NFIP to provide you a, a really low expensive option to provide you some coverage there.
0: Okay, great. Let's um, switch over to car insurance okay. now. So, also of course under that same umbrella of asset protection considerations, is there a minimum amount of auto insurance coverage that's recommended?
1: So, yes, I would recommend, you know, in this environment, um, you know, $250,000, you know, per occurrence, $500,000 aggregate. So you can customize it a couple of different ways uh, depending on your insurance care. So there's combined single limit, which takes your bodily injury liability and your property damage liability and combines them into one okay. uh, to provide you, you know, one large number to, that encompasses both products, or you can split them out. Um, but I recommend absolutely to have 250,000, you know, per occurrence. So if you were in an accident, it provides you up to that $500,000 aggregate, which means they'll pay up to 500. If you have multiple accidents throughout the year, they'll max out at 500,000 Okay. and then you'll have a hundred thousand dollars of bodily injury coverage.
0: And we're going to talk or, about, uh, I'm sorry,
1: property damage coverage.
0: Okay. Yes. And we're going to talk about the umbrella, That's and how they yep. set certain requirements correct. for the underlying before they kick in.
1: That's correct.
0: And it, in Florida, in terms of liability insurance coverage, there's no requirement to have that, correct, on pip, a What we
1: call PIP and PD, so personal injury protection, uh, and then your property damage coverage of $10,000. Mm-hmm. So that is very little. Uh, there used to be an old statistic out there, this was a couple of years ago, that almost 30 percent of the drivers in the state of florida either were underinsured or uninsured wow. uh, which is a really scary thought that process is. right and so um, i think a couple of different things you know obviously we want to have very high bodily injury liability limits if you're in an at-fault accident in our personal injury litigious environment that we live in it's very important your typical fender bender now can cost six figures uh, we're talking with some carriers that something can seem so minor can turn very major very quickly. Uh, so it's always always good to have more. But there's another piece to this that I think uh, some individuals do not think of, and it's your uninsured motorist coverage. And that provides coverage for everybody inside the vehicle that you're in in the event of an accident. It could also include you know hit and runs if the other company's um, insurance carrier goes insolvent or they're uninsured, this pays for those bodily injury injuries to those individuals inside your car, um, which most people either say, well, I have health insurance uh, or I don't need this. This is first dollar. You don't have to go through your health insurance and deductibles and you know certain uh, doctors and, and hospitals. Um, you don't get any of that with, with your uninsured motorist coverage. And again, it's, it's paid first dollar. So that's a very important coverage to have. Uh, as well, when we're talking about liability limits, if you have youthful drivers, yes. you want to have more liability coverage. That is a huge exposure for for those individuals right now. Um, obviously, on a, you know, inexperienced can be distracted, um, texting, and, and texting and driving, talking and driving, um, you know, looking you know other ways throughout the car. It's it's uh, unfortunate more you know, more and more accidents are happening by youthful drivers now. So you want to make sure that, that you have adequate liability limits. Gosh forbid something happens there.
0: So what are those circumstances in which you should review your automobile insurance policy? You mentioned one, right? If you've got teenage drivers yeah. or young drivers, um, what about if your assets have grown?
1: Absolutely. If your assets have grown, uh, if you you know used to drive to work, and now you've retired and it's, you know, you can change it from to and from work or business use to pleasure use. Uh, some carriers will, will provide you a credit for that. Uh, so it's important to, to look into that. With your youthful drivers um, as well, uh, when you wanted to look in, into your policy, you know, you can talk about credits to, to look at driver training programs and okay. uh, good student discounts, right? To make sure that all those are added on because it is very expensive. To be a youthful driver on a policy right now, and it's important. Youthful drivers are deemed youthful until age 25 with the insurance companies. Obviously, you're going to get prorated and hit more in the in the front end when they're younger than older. Um, if if a child has uh, is away at college, um, you know that's not driving a vehicle. You want to make sure to update the policy there. Uh, if they move out of the household, make sure to take them off of your your policy at that time, right? Yes. Um, always so tell
0: clients ideally once they're eighteen, get yeah. them off of get yourself off the title. That's exactly right.
1: right. Yes. <laughs> and
0: try and get them their put, own title. Put the vehicle their own their own in their policy.
1: name, exactly. Yeah. And and even if you have to subsidize it as the parent, right? Just to separate the liability. I think another another thing when you're talking about looking at your insurance policy, age of vehicle and d- is the is the vehicle paid off? Do you need your, your collision deductible anymore, right? If you have a 15-year-old vehicle or it's paid off, right, is it, is it worth paying for that? Um, looking at your your deductibles, right? So rates are going up right now, you know, uh, increasing your deductibles up to $1,000 for comprehensive and collision rather than $500. Do you really plan on filing the $700 claim? And I think it's important as, as we're talking about this right now, and um, smaller claims can sometimes be more impactful than larger claims. Uh, and it's the frequency over severity that can hurt individuals sometimes more, you know, than having, you know, if you have five claims, what's the insurance company? Well, non-renew rather than having the one large claim. That, that can be so So uh, always trying to figure out, you know, um, what are you comfortable with from a deductible standpoint um, to save some money? Uh, and, and I think, you know, what kind of claim are you going to file? If if you have a fifteen-year-old vehicle and you you get in a little fender bender, right? Right. Are you really worried about you know fixing it and filing a claim rather than save the four or five hundred bucks in the back end?
0: Got it. Well, and you already touched on certain discounts that you may be able to qualify for for auto coverage. So for folks that are in their 50s and 60s, there are certain discounts there. And then, of course, that changes as they get older, right? There there can
1: be. There can be. Some carriers do offer, offer those discounts, offer AARP discounts. Um, it's becoming a little less prevalent than it than it used to be. Okay. Um, unfortunately, and you know, the auto environment right now uh, is kind of in a state of flux, like like the homeowners insurance. They're getting hit with a lot of a lot of claims. As I said, you know, a typical fender bender can be six figures now in a payout, and so they have taken back some of those discounts. One thing that's very popular with the insurance companies right now is is kind of what I'm going to call a right a right track device, and so. You can either download it on an app depending on the carrier width or plug it into your your vehicle and essentially what it does is um, mirrors your driving habits so do you speed right do you go above the speed limit often are you kind of a touch and go or speed up and slow down or um, you know do you play within the limits and are you a really safe driver and do not speed and um, you know take things slow they can provide discounts for you um, depending on you know kind of the information that comes back, it's important to note that it doesn't penalize you. So some people will say, "Well, if I am a speeder, or you know, I all of a sudden brake really hard or jerk are they you gonna know, the hold car, they're going to hold it against me." Which they don't. Um, they only take into account the positives. But it, it, I think it's still good to know, good to have that data. But that can be you know a 25 percent credit on your policy depending on the carrier. Wow. Um, just for you know plugging it into your into your vehicle or having an app.
0: And how do folks learn about that? Do they talk to their insurance I would agents?
1: ask to, to ask to either their insurance company or insurance okay. agent, depending on who they go through, okay. to see if that, if that is offered.
0: Okay, fantastic. And then you always see on the TV about bundling, mm-hmm. right? Bundling auto and home. There's a commercial all the time all for the bundling. Time. <laughs> so is there really savings in bundling?
1: There can be. Okay. Uh, the unfortunate part uh, in the independent insurance world, uh, the options uh, to bundle are less than they used to be five, 10 years ago. So uh, you know, obviously you see your state farms of the world and all states of the world that are direct writer carriers. So I don't have access to them. You have to go directly to a state farm and they can bundle. Uh, in our world, in the independent side, we represent you know, a multitude of options, tens or 50, hundred carriers, hundred options that we can provide you that state farm can't. Homeowner's insurance carriers don't really want to write auto. Auto yeah. insurance carriers don't really want to write home. Uh, so that is becoming a little more difficult. There are still some carriers out there that will do all of it. Uh, so if you look in the the high net worth sector, um, which are usually million-dollar homes and above, nicer vehicles, your your Chubbs insurance, uh, pure insurance, Vault to the world, uh, nationwide, if you will, they will provide both the home, the auto, the umbrella. Um, if you're in what I'm going to call more the middle market sector with a, with a Florida domestic company or somebody that's not a, a large national company, they either want to write only the home or only the auto. They the don't auto. want both the exposure. That makes so sense. it is becoming a little more difficult. A lot of auto carriers still do offer umbrellas though. So you can package it that
0: way. That's good. Which is
1: good. Um, so you can get a discount on that. Um, but when it comes to home and auto, very limited options compared to things. 10, 15 years ago
0: and let's since you brought up umbrella let's talk about that okay. so that provides an extra layer of insurance coverage and protects you if you're sued and found liable for damages Correct. in an amount that's greater than the liability limits of your home or auto insurance policies and generally it's relatively inexpensive right and i i read that's because these carriers know that it only kicks in if the underlying limits are insufficient or otherwise exhausted. So, one mi- they they come in million dollar increments, right? So the the first level is the one million. I mean, just generally speaking, what are the premiums for like a million, three million, nine, you know, five million? Yeah.
1: So so great question. So you know they. They have been inexpensive for years. They are definitely starting to creep up in premium though. Okay. Uh, so the carriers in this environment that we live in are seeing uh, umbrella limits be pierced more than they ever have been, uh, which is causing some, some angst and panic with the carriers. So they are having to scrutinize a little bit more on the underwriting uh, as well as raise rates. Okay. Uh, it is still a relatively inexpensive option for the coverage that you're getting. Uh, and it also takes into account, you know, driving history, claims history, you know, whether it's on the liability on the home side or the auto side, because remember it, it covers over both. doesn't just cover over the auto, cover over your home liability as well. Um, and you know, do you have youthful drivers? You know, that takes that into account, um, boats, secondary homes, um, finan- rental
0: properties, rental properties
1: right? Uh, depending on the limit that you want, there could be financial underwriting into it as well. And so, uh, you know, some people will ask for $10 million bucks, and that the insurance carrier cannot justify that due to the exposure, you know, on the underlying. And so they're going to ask a few more questions. They don't, they don't want to give out a lot of, of high-value umbrellas without really doing their homework. Uh, so it's definitely becoming a little more challenging to place higher umbrella limits um, if you will, but I was I always recommend, you know, three million as a minimum, where that used to be a million five, seven years ago. Right. I think three to five million is a really good starting point right now. You do have to have minimum underlying limits. Yes. Uh, so on the auto, uh, you cannot have, you know, your your PIP and PD like we talked about earlier. Uh, you have to have 250500 as a minimum with most carriers. On your home insurance, they'll require at least 300,000. Some will require 500,000 or more depending on the umbrella limit that you want because they want to have more protection on the front end uh, if a claim occurs to where somebody else is is going to take the first, you know, 500,000 and they'll cover over the rest of that.
0: And a lot of times when I'm meeting with clients and we're trying to determine, okay, should they explore the possibility of umbrella coverage for them. We're looking at what type of assets, how much they have in the way of assets, but also what type of assets they have, because certain assets here in Florida, at least, are exempt from creditor attacks. So 529 accounts and retirement accounts and life insurance, cash value and things like that. Homestead on a home, yes. Homestead, exactly. Yes. But if they've got a lot in cash and securities that are just taxable accounts, those are vulnerable.
1: They are. Absolutely. So you want to make sure that you are properly covered for that. Depending again on the value, uh, it's really, it would be ideal to say, you know, to get an umbrella limit to what your total assets are. The unfortunate part is the insurance carriers probably won't go above a certain limit depending on how high that is, but how high, you know, how close can you get to that ultimate goal? And again, it also depends on, your exposure as well. So if you're retired and not on the road a lot, um, if your kids are out of the household, that can that can change um, kind of your way of thinking a little bit. You sold the boat or the beach condo. Um, that does play into a factor, you know, when it comes to the limit of, of insurance that, that you feel comfortable with. It's all about a comfortability factor, right? Yes. If at the end of the day, if I'm sued, what do I feel comfortable with for the insurance company to cover? and then me to protect myself, you know, and, and my assets and the back end as well or what I'm willing to, to put at risk.
0: Right. Mitigating risk as much as you can Absolutely. at an expense that you can afford to pay.
1: Absolutely. We're seeing that on the umbrella side to go back to the home. We see that on the home side right now with uh, individuals self-insuring due to cost or going X wind to whether insure the home for fire, theft, water damage. But if a wind event occurs or a hurricane that's on them because, again, the price, they feel comfortable you know, saying, hey, my home is, is properly fortified or I can afford the $200,000 loss if I need to. Um, it's all about finding that balance of risk right. uh, and what you're comfortable you know, putting out there.
0: And it's going to be unique to each and every person. That's exactly right. So hopefully we've given folks a lot to consider today and make that determination for themselves. So I really want to thank you, Drew, for joining me this month. We really hope that you found this informative and that you'll undertake to do your own insurance checkup and consult with your own team of professionals, like I always say You're best served when you have the assistance of a team approach, and that's your insurance agent, your financial advisor, your tax advisor, your attorney. Get the guidance that you need to help make the decisions that are right for you. So thank you again, Drew. Thank
1: you so much, Vanessa. I appreciate you having me.
0: Of course. So please join me again next month, folks, as we celebrate National Organ Donation Day, also known as Valentine's Day, with a detailed discussion about organ donation. Thank you so much.